This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, Hunting, Shooting and Fishing Radio. Great to have you back for another episode. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking with YouTuber Ben Miller of the YouTube channel Adventure Bound. Now, I didn't know who Ben was, obviously. Uh, I was on Facebook one time, probably a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I saw this video, Hunting State Forest, 14 point red deer stag how to hunt feeding areas for deer a lot of you guys know i've been spending time probably over the last six months doing a little, lot of the public land hunting state forest hunting i guess trying to f- provide tips tricks and for people to become more successful on public land a lot of people in this day and age unfortunately don't have places to be able to hunt so they do rely on hunting those state forests uh, places in new south wales victoria northern territory and obviously some parts of south australia as well uh, and depend in any place around Australia where you can actually hunt good public land areas. Now, in, in this video, you can check it out on his YouTube channel, Adventure Bound. You should see some of these stags. Holy shit. These things are huge. Absolutely crazy. And it was a fantastic video. So I contacted Ben and I said, listen, man, I'd love to get you on the show. Looks like you you enjoy hunting state forests. A lot of my listeners love hunting state forest they love hunting on public land they want to become more successful there's a lot of people out that have that have hunted state forests and public land that haven't been successful uh, and they're constantly getting out there and trying and uh, this is what this podcast is all about talking about hunting in state forests, uh, talking about what areas to hunt, firearms. We're going to talk about fringe areas. We're going to talk about feeding areas. uh, And we're going to talk about anything to do to make you more successful in public land hunting. And state forests, whether you go Victoria, whether you go New South Wales, Northern Territory, or other parts around the country, uh, we want to get you to be more successful. So if we we can impart some tips and tricks to make that happen, then my job is done. Of course, if you want to support the show, I really do appreciate it. Patreon.com forward slash ahp i think for five bucks a month you can support the show really appreciate it all those people that are on there that help me i couldn't do it without you guys and there's a myriad of places you can listen to the show now Castbox, spotify of course on the website you can download it from itunes uh, apple podcast the podbean app uh, realistically anywhere you can do it even stitcher <laughs> you can listen to us on stitcher as well if you just type in australian hunting podcast there's somewhere there in the links google links or whichever uh, whatever you use to find the podcast, you can listen to it and you can find a place to listen to the show. So I do uh, really, really appreciate that. If you want to leave any voicemails, again, go to that website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Uh, on, on that right-hand side slider bar, you'll say it says leave voicemail so if you can leave me a voicemail i'd really really appreciate it i love hearing from you guys if you want to be played on the show uh let us know what you want to talk about uh when you actually record the audio and we'll actually play it on any future upcoming shows if you want to email me for any reason strainhuntingpodcast at gmail.com i do appreciate it. if i don't get you back straight away guys i do get a lot of emails uh and sometimes i do struggle to get through them uh or i just you know it runs down the list and i get 10 or 15 more and sometimes it's very difficult to get back to people but i do end up getting back to yeah, I'll try my best. So uh, sorry if I didn't get back to you right away, but I do appreciate you writing in and don't let that stop you from writing in. We've actually got heaps of shows coming up this year. I reckon it's going to be an awesome year and we're not far off actually. Uh, I'm not sure if this will go 
live before my 10-year anniversary or after. Most likely before, um, but we're coming up on the 28th of March, 2021, and that'll be 10 years of podcasting, uh, almost 240-something episodes, which is pretty bloody darn good if you ask me. There's no one else in Australia. I'm not even sure if there's anyone else even in the world that's been podcasting for longer than 10 years uh, in the hunting, shooting, and fishing area. I don't think there is. Um, you know, I'm proud of that. I really am. I really am proud of that. And uh, all the people that have been along the way, all the guests I've had on the show, all the people that have been a part of it, all the people that have supported either financially or just sharing the show, really, really appreciate that. So today we're going to talk about uh, hunting in state forests. We're going to talk about how to hunt state forests. We're going to talk about how to hunt those feeding areas. Uh, and we're going to do that with Ben Miller. So I guess we should crack it on. Ben, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for joining me. I saw that cracking red deer you shot. Bloody hell. What a monster, eh? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely my day, I reckon. Got pretty lucky. <laughs> <laughs> mate, tell us about yourself. Um, I mean, I guess, how did you get into to shooting? How did you get into to hunting? Just let, let's just start there first. Uh, yeah, so I was born on the south coast. Um and I suppose pretty much from an early age, I always had a love for, for being outdoors, uh, particularly uh, fishing. I did a lot throughout my earlier years. Pretty much as soon as I was old enough to hold a rod, I was always out there nagging my uncle or someone to take me out to the jetty. Just kind of naturally progressed from there. Got out to the bush a bit more and got talking to some other people and kind of got my hands on a bow that I worked for two weeks to afford and then... Uh, kind of started hunting rabbits and stuff with the bow and then naturally just kind of progressed into shooting and found that rifle was a much more effective tool uh, to pursue animals. But, you know, I've still got that love for the bow. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much how I started hunting and everything. It was just from an early age and I've just got such a passion for it and I don't think I'll ever stop. <laughs> yeah, what what sort of fishing were you into? Because I've looked at your, uh, I did have a spear fishing, so I've seen on your YouTube channel, you've done a bit of spear fishing. Like I'd love to do that, man. Maybe my fitness is not there, but I'm. Sh- I, people, hey, people know it about me. I got no problem saying it. I'm just shit scared of sharks, man. So I don't, I don't <laughs> like the idea of just jumping into the water. Maybe if I had other people around, I probably would. But that's like my just worst nightmare. Like I'm having a good time, and then bang, great white or some bullshit pops up, and I'm like, oh no, it's my my number up or what <laughs> yeah look, that'd be a bit of a nightmare i'm sure uh look i always go out spearfishing and stuff with with other people and stuff i always go out with buddies and i generally like to do my fishing and hunting with a, a mate or something as well um and it just comes down to like a safety thing too like i'm always pretty cautious with uh my spots that i choose to go diving uh, and i always make sure that i've got all my safety gear sorted out and the same thing with my hunting stuff, you know, I've got a PLB and, and all of that type of gear. So, so yeah, I've just kind of always made sure that I've got that safety gear ready to go. And, like, I absolutely love spearfishing too because any time you go under the water, it's just a completely different world. I think it's just – it's so relaxing under there as well. Uh, it's just incredibly calming to be diving, I think, even just swimming in general, but – I think spearfishing, particularly for myself, I've found is just such a calming thing to do. And um, 
you know, I'm lucky that I've got mates that, that love doing the same thing. So I don't have a, a shortage of people that want to come out with me. doesn't really matter what I'm chasing, whether it's a deer in the bush or, or I'm spearing and getting a nice feed of fish. So it's, uh, it's a pretty good thing. Yeah. yeah. What about mainly salt water, fresh water? What were you sort of when you were younger? And if so, what did you like catching when you were sort of growing up, even now? Yeah, it's always been salt water for me. Um, I do love my trout fishing, but I don't really get the opportunity to do it too much purely just because where I'm based and I don't really kind of go out looking for them as much. Um, but I mean, pretty much I do a lot of estuary stuff. Uh, particularly targeting like your, your bread and butter species. But I've just started trying to like branch out into my bigger stuff down south, being like Dewey's and Kingies, because uh, I've kind of got a bit bored of catching the same old brim and stuff. Um, so I'm really hoping to, to get into a really big fish pretty soon. But fortunately, I've hooked two Kingies so far and I haven't landed a single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's one of my – I'd love to get some Kingies. I've been trying to get – Jewfish Mulloway for ages, but I oh, mean, I just can't seem to just can't seem to crack it. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying. <laughs> you know, they're a finicky sort of fish, but yeah, I've seen a couple of the guys. Given a couple of guys that I've recently interviewed a couple of months ago, they just made some uh, uh, fishing videos catching kings, like you know, twenty kilo jobs, and I'm like, man, these things just don't quit. These are the like pound for pound the biggest, hardest fighting fish I think going around. Yeah, absolutely crazy stuff. And they don't call Dewey's the silver ghost for no reason either. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What do you have? You ever had a chance to like even just we'll go into the state forest stuff in a little bit. You you red deer hunt as well, but you know when you're spearfishing, what have you had a you know, chance to sort of you know get underwater? I'd say the favourite thing or the best thing that I've ever speared was a kingy. Um, so that actually happened oh, probably about two months ago, and I was pretty lucky. Uh, it was just completely out of the blue. I'd never seen a kingfish there before, and it just happened to be that two nice fish around that 70-centimetre mark came through, and, uh, yeah, it just all came together. So that was probably the highlight of my spearing. Um, I mean, I have shot quite a few flathead. I think over Christmas I ended up shooting about 40 flatty. So that was nice. that was a pretty good freezer filler as well, yeah. So most <laughs> of the stuff I do is kind of um, more orientated towards just getting a feed, you know. Like if I shoot a deer, I'll make sure that well, – I'll try and make sure that I shoot it in a spot where I can get the ute pretty close to it and I can recover most of the meat. And the same thing with, uh, with uh, when I'm spearing, like I'm generally out there just hunting for good table fish really, yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. What about when you said when you were growing up, you you started bow hunting, then you got a rifle. Were any of your family or anything were they into hunting, or brothers, sisters, or anything like that? Yeah, so I've been pretty lucky again in that regard. Um, so my uncle has been a, a hunter pretty much as soon as he was old enough to to get out in the bush, and he's had a, a pretty much equals my passion for uh, for hunting and fishing. So I was fortunate in that sense that he had, oh, Jesus, probably 40 years of experience by the time I was old enough to start getting out there. And he just taught me pretty much anything that he could from, from day one, really. So uh, when I was bow hunting and stuff, my first deer hunt that I went on with him, uh, we both had the bows and I think we ended up seeing eight or nine Samba deer 
over a few days. We didn't get a single shot on any of them, but it was just such an incredible experience to be able to see deer in the bush. And uh, I think from that moment, I just fell in love with with deer in general. They're just such an awesome animal. But uh, again, on the fishing front, you know, like whenever I wanted to go out fishing and I wasn't really sure how to do something, I'd just give my uncle a call and be like, hey, man, like, what's the best way to go about doing this? And he'd just fill me in. And it's just been such an awesome thing to be able to have him there as kind of a backbone to rely on for such a wealth of information and experience. I've been really fortunate in that regard. So Yeah. So yeah. you you obviously been hunting a fair bit in State Forest, but currently you're in Darwin. What's the what's the fishing or and or hunting like up there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, been living in the top end mostly for about five years. I only get down to uh, the south coast for, I don't know, about six months of the year when I'm down there on holidays. But the fishing up here is absolutely incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, one time I was out in my little four-metre tinny before I bought the bigger boat and I was just flicking up this tiny little creek. It was probably only two metres wide and about half a metre deep. I was trying to get a barra on the low tide, and, and I uh, ended up hooking up to a 66-centimetre uh, golden trevally, which was quite an experience on 15-pound gear. He did about a 120-metre <laughs> run straight up the creek because he had nowhere else to go. I thought I'd hooked a little croc or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Yeah, I had my mate's uh, sister was living in Darwin for quite a number of years. He said, oh, you should come up there. I said, nah, no, not with that humidity up there, mate. I just, my body won't survive up there. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, dry season, I think, I always tell my mates, dry season is like a really mild summer's day down home. You That humidity and stuff pretty much dissipates. You don't really feel it too much. And it gets up to like a max of about 27, 28 degrees most days. And they're just such beautiful days for about six months of the year. And that's the best time to go out hunting as well. So we're kind of pretty unlucky up here on the hunting front uh, because there's only two kind of areas of public land. And then there's another uh, area which you can do an accreditation course uh, for. And you can go and hunt that as well with paying like a, a fee and everything like that. What's the oh, yeah. what's the uh, wet season like? Pretty ordinary. <laughs> yeah, uh, I try not to be up here in the wet. But there's really not much to do. Um, you can want to get stuck in at home, and you know you can't really get out in the bush because everything's just too wet, and you just get bogged. And the fish kind of all go quiet too because of the amount of fresh that pours into all the systems. Mm. And there's too too many storms to really go blue water. So you just kind of stuck inside waiting for dry season again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. We're going to get into the red deer story in a moment, but we're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers 
offers flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. All right, Ben, mate, tell us. I've got to hear this story. I watched your video and I urge everyone. I was just checking it actually before we were uh, doing the show and it's got about 13,000 views now, which is bloody fantastic. And holy crap, tell us about this deer, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think they've just got to watch the videos probably enough, but I want to hear it from your mouth, you know. (laughs) It's just, it's such an incredible animal, you know. Like, I really... I didn't realise how lucky I was at the time to um, to even see something like that. But, I mean, yeah, taking it back from the start, I mean, I, I had a game plan going into this state forest and I'd never never been in there before. So I was kind of just going to focus on trying to find some fresh feed and a bit of water because it was obviously kind of the back end of summer and uh, everything's, you know, kind of dries up and water becomes a bit scarce. So I just went in there and I found this really nice kind of feeder gully and I found some really good sign pretty pretty early on. And uh, that afternoon or that evening, I got pretty unlucky. I ended up so putting up two different herds of hinds and I didn't really let it get me down. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get up really nice and early, head out there about first light and see what I can put up. I was pretty hopeful that there'd still be a deer out there feeding, and that's exactly what happened. I, I just, I still shake my head when I think about it. So, I mean, I was just walking along this fringe country uh, on the edge of this feeding area, and there were just three monster stags. They were just I think that's an understatement, man. Huge. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. an understatement. <laughs> They were just absolutely huge and it was just so beautiful to see them feeding there and I'm really spewing. I couldn't get any footage of them because I'd I'd been watching them for about a minute and I was just looking at them trying to pick which one I kind of thought looked the biggest and I'll tell you what, they're all pretty much bang on the same size. I think there might have been an inch difference between the three of them. And uh, during that like minute or so that I was looking at him, the lead stag had actually moved. Oh, he'd halved the distance back into the pines. So I knew that I really only had about another minute to um, actually get the crosshairs on one before they were pretty much gone. Otherwise, I just could have sat there all morning and just watched them, you know, like they were just incredible. Yeah. Um, I saw the the footage when you, I think I think the first one came into view and I thought oh that's a bloody good one and then I think you sort of zoomed out or something along those lines and there was like three I'm like holy shit this is yeah. like this is like the Taj Mahal of deer hunting right here yeah just it insane <laughs> just insane uh, what did you end up shooting with what's your what's your go to caliber what do you generally use when you're out in the bush so I've got um I've got three different kind of firearms that i use depending on what i'm targeting so i've got a 12 gauge that i use kind of um primarily for pest control like foxes rabbits pigs uh and then i've got a 22 that i'll use for like shooting small game like uh rabbits and hares when i actually want to kind of recover the meat and then my my go-to caliber for kind of any other medium to large a size game is my 308 um you know and i've shot 
everything from buffalo right down to bloody rabbits and stuff with that rifle. It's just such a reliable uh, rifle. But uh, it was kind of my first time using a new round on that too. So it was when I actually shot the stag, I ended up tracking one of the other two stags for about four or 500 metres. And I was kind of kicking myself for not using the same ammunition that I'd been using the whole time. But it turns out it was all kind of for nothing because the big boy had only run about 60 metres. So got pretty lucky. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, how, when it, you obviously shot it, how far, about 60 metres, what was it? Was, yeah. it, was it a good shot? Because, I mean, I've, I've shot them sometimes, some some decent-sized ones, nowhere near as big as that, of, of course. But, you know, and it's amazing how far they can run, even like 50 or 60 metres into the pine. Sometimes it's very difficult. Luckily, I've been able to find mine because they've sort of run up game trails and stuff like that. But sometimes they can only run 30 or 40 metres and, and can be impossible to even find the buggers. Yeah, so I – um. I had a real issue when I was shooting fallow deer with the 150 grain soft points that I'd been running the whole time uh, previously to doing this ammunition change because I'd, I'd ended up shooting, I think, two or three fallow and I'd had them running out to like 120, 150 metres from like really well-placed shots that were kind of between the heart and the lungs. And when I was opening the deer up, I was seeing that the projectiles just weren't opening up enough because uh, they were soft points. They just weren't really hitting enough flesh on those smaller deer to be opening up enough to be able to like cause enough damage to to put them down as soon as they should be. So that's kind of when I changed the uh, the ammunition over to these one thirty grain hollow points. And I was a bit skeptical because I thought you know one thirty grain could be a bit light. Uh, for a hollow point because of the fragmentation and stuff. But uh, I thought, you know, it's a 308 and it should be able to get the job done no matter of uh, kind of what grain of board I'm running through it. So, uh, yeah, again, it was a really well-placed shot on this big fella. Um, I ended up cutting one of the lungs clean in half and then obviously the the hollow points just fragmented from there and it's just done the job within 60 metres. So, can't complain, yeah. <laughs> what were you like when you ended up finding it? Like, I guess you were pretty excited to find it. For that, for that little bit of time where you <laughs> couldn't find it, I'm sure that was probably the longest period of your life where you're going, oh, no, I've probably lost this deer. And you're right, they only run 20 or 30 metres in either direction and they're, they're bloody hard to find. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, like, that's why I had to make that, that change because for a deer to even run 150 metres in the Aussie bush, can sometimes take hours to find. And, I mean, that that whole morning when I'd been looking for the big stag, I was just absolutely devastated. I think the main reason why I was pretty upset was just because of the thought that he might not have gone down and he'd just be wounded. I thought maybe – because I always fly with my firearm from Darwin down to, down to New South Wales – and I generally do a zero, and I had done a zero, but I thought, you know, maybe I'll bump my scope or something, and I was really concerned that I'd just wounded this really incredible animal. And, um, you know, I was just absolutely gutted just thinking about it for the whole three hours that it took me to find him. And, and I ended up just sitting down, and I just kind of reorientated myself, and I thought, well, this isn't working, so let's go back to where it all happened. And I'll just look for more sign and I'll start again. And I just couldn't believe it when he was like 60 metres away from where I'd hit him. I was just kicking myself the whole morning. But 
I couldn't even use the footage. I didn't have my camera on me because I'd, I'd stashed all my gear in the ute and I just got my phone out and I just filmed it off my phone and I was just so ecstatic to see him that I couldn't even use the footage. There was a bit of uh, <laughs> bit of language in there and everything and, uh, oh, mate, I just – the. It's just years and years of like hard work of just listening, looking and learning that really all just came together in that one morning. How far was the shot when it was all said and done? How far? Because you think you were sort of behind a log, if I can recall from, from the video. How yeah. far was the shot? Like, because it's clear they didn't obviously. Yeah, wind was good. They didn't know where you were. Uh, they had no sort of inkling to your presence, which is fantastic. Which we'll talk about a bit later as well. But how far was the shot when it was all said and done? Yeah. So. Like, uh, they, they definitely had no idea I was there, and I think part of the reason why that was happening was purely just because it was really early morning and everything was so still. There wasn't a breath of wind. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the shot itself was probably about 120 metres or so, um, so it really wasn't too far. And I think that's, you know, the closer you get, obviously, the better for when you're shooting something. So... I mean, I got pretty lucky there again, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, not bad at all. And you obviously made a video about it, which is good for us to enjoy. How did you get into sort of making videos and, you know, on your spearfishing, your hunting, and what sort of excited you to make this one and hopefully get something? Well, I mean, I'd been YouTubing kind of a little bit uh, for almost a year, actually, I think, before I actually went out on this hunt. But I suppose the inspiration to just start filming uh, my own footage was really just so that I could enjoy watching highlights of my own kind of fishing and hunting sessions. And then I'd also been an avid watcher of other hunting channels and it was just a bit of a motivator to kind of get out there and to make the effort to film my own adventures and, and just the joy of, you know, watching like the highlights from, from those sessions uh, it's just timeless for me. I just absolutely love it. Yeah. Out of all the game to hunt, is what deer your favourite, or what's your what's your number one? Yeah, yeah. It's got to be deer. You know, like I've shot some some pretty decent uh, buffalo, and uh, you know, pretty much everything else. I think the only two things that I'm missing at this point is a camel and a donkey. <laughs> but you just you, you just can't beat a deer in the Aussie bush. I think for any hunter that's been lucky enough to be able to see some deer in the Aussie bush. You know, I just, I don't even like shooting them, you know, straight away. If I can, I'll sit there and I'll watch them for 20 minutes because I absolutely just love watching how they that, how they uh, kind of interact in the bush. And they're such an inte- intelligent animal as well. Um, they're just they're definitely my favorite yeah i just can't beat them (laughs) i agree it's good most of the time and sometimes if i've been you know hunting state forest sometimes that window of you know time to if i'm hunting fringe country maybe it's fringe to private property or something like that like that window to sort of be able to shoot is 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 slim but yeah i'd love to get them out in the open on you know sort of public land or state forest hunting and just have a chance to sort of just watch them admire them see what they do uh you know watch them feed which i have in the past sometimes i've been on you know state forest i'm looking over into the private stuff and just just yeah they're like 800 meters away and just you know watching them with the binos see what they do see what their reaction you know what times they're out which side of the hills they're on is their sun out you know it's just good to just to watch them i you know, I, I agree it's just you know nothing better sometimes than watching 
especially when they don't know you're there. I've spent a lot of time walking, sp- spooking them and, you know, but w- when you've got a leg up on them, they don't know you're there. It's, it's sort of like they're in their natural habitat and they're not spooked and you can see how they naturally are out in the wild. That's exactly it. It's just, it's such a great learning opportunity. If you ever, if you're ever able to get the jump on a deer and just watch them, you know, it's such a good learning opportunity to just see like their natural, uh, natural habits and stuff and just try and, you know, get more of an understanding of what makes them tick, I suppose, so that it can make things a little bit easier the next time. <laughs> Yeah, I know, hundred uh, percent. I mean, give it give it a bit of a plug too. I mean, obviously, I did at the at the beginning. I gave them the name of the the video, but tell them about your channel, where they can find the video, what names it under, and yeah, give it a bit of a plug. Yeah, so it's called Adventure Bound. Uh, it's kind of just the channel that's been orientated towards fishing and hunting between kind of the two states that I spend most of my time in, being like uh, New South Wales and Darwin. And I really just kind of intended it for it to be. Uh, a spot where I could kind of upload my passion, which is getting out in the outdoors and kind of chasing fish or or other uh, like animals in the Aussie bush. Um, so if you're into that kind of thing, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's done pretty good. I was telling people at the beginning, it's like 13,000 views. Now, people just love, and I said this before when we were talking on the phone a bit earlier and obviously last week, late last week, but, you know, people just love that deer hunting. A lot of people, are, and we're going to talk about state forests, maybe some tips and tricks as well, because a lot of people don't have places to hunt. A lot of people need to utilise public land hunting for whatever reason, uh, and they find it easy easier and they can go with a lot of their friends and have a great time and uh yeah it's just good to see that people love that and uh you know seeing your passion in being able to get out there and actually you know utilize some some state forest hunting it's, it really is worthwhile so yeah I'd, I'd urge people to check it out but before we talk about a bit of state forest hunting and maybe some tips and tricks to help people out what's your favorite guns what do you what do you like what do you own obviously we know you've got the 308 but is that your number one favorite gun or oh look i think there's a place for every calibre. Um, I think the favourite rifle that I like to shoot would have to be the simple old 22. It's just such a nice little rifle and you can shoot some pretty cool things with them. You know, you're definitely limited by range, but they're just su- such like a comfortable, good rifle, I think, the little 22. Uh, and I think that's kind of what Australia was founded on back in the 1800s with small calibre rifles, you know. But, uh, like, if it depends what you're hunting, I suppose, as well. You know, like, I obviously wouldn't go shooting anything bigger than probably a fox with a 22. Um, for longer range stuff, I'd definitely recommend, like, a 338, even though I bashed them a bit in my video. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But you can't beat a three thread if you want to do some cross gully stuff. Then you know each to their own. I think um, it just kind of depends on your hunting style and what you're trying to achieve. I think. Uh, but yeah, my favourite calibre would be the little old humble twenty two. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, great calibre. Good for small game. Cheap to run as well, mate. When you're, you know, obviously from. When you said South Coast, obviously South Coast, New South Wales at the beginning of the show, you probably had access maybe to some private stuff down there, but what you know, what got you started on, say, you know, wanting to hit that public land? Yeah, like you touched on before, you know, like I'm pretty lucky as well. I do have access to um, 7,000 acres pretty close to home that's uh, private property, but there's only foxes and uh, and rabbits and hares on that 
on that particular uh, sheep station. So I kind of um, had to go into the state forest if I wanted to shoot something a bit more substantial. And it was just kind of a natural progression because, uh, you know, like I, like I touched on earlier, deer have always been an absolute favourite thing of mine since an early age, pretty much ever since I first laid eyes on one. And I wasn't content with just shooting rabbits and foxes. So uh, I ended up getting licensed and then kind of uh, looking into my local state forests and finding some good country. Yeah. Mm. All right. We're going to talk about maybe some scouting in a few moments. We're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Gunkeeper has been developed by the National Shooting Council to help gun clubs with cash grants to help them keep members and keep their doors open. It also helps gun dealers and other shooting businesses attract and keep customers with incentives. If you run a gun club or gun business, make sure you put your hand up for Gunkeeper today. For more information, go to the National Shooting Council's website at nationalshooting.org.au. Ben, I want to talk about scouting, so very, very important one. I've got a lot of tools yeah. at our disposal. So when you're going to first hit, say, a... You know, state forest, you want to find out you know, places you're going to either camp or places you might want to see where there might be some deer. What are the first, say, tips that you're using to, to scout? Obviously, you want to drive through there eventually you know, if it's during the day, but before you even get to the forest, you've never been there, what are some tips where you can go, right, I'm going to hit this area, this area, this looks good, this looks like a great camp. How do you go about it? Scouting is obviously a pretty pivotal thing. Pretty much how I like to start off is I'll just go on to the DPI harvest returns there. And this is such a great tool to use when you're just going to, like when you're even before you get onto Google Maps and stuff, it's just to find a state forest that's holding a particular species that you want to hunt, you know. So I'd highly recommend getting onto the DPI website and just looking at the harvest returns and just finding what you're looking for, you know. If you just want to get out and shoot some rabbits, then see if there's a forest near you that's had some rabbits being reported as being harvested uh, or likewise deer, goats, pigs, anything like that. And then when you've found a good forest uh, that's a reasonable, dif- well, preferably pretty close to home, but I know a lot of people do have to travel these days, uh, I then kind of look on Google Maps, Avenza Maps, kind of any type of satellite imagery, and it's pretty seasonal what I'm kind of looking for at this point. You know, I touched on it a bit before, but during the summer months, I'll be looking for feeding areas with water and stuff like that. Uh, this could also be gullies with thick vegetation. If there's kind of no better alternative, that's where I'll generally spend my time. Uh, but then in the winter months as well, you know, like the you got to think, what it, what does a deer like to be comfortable and, you know, maintain his daily routine? And one of those things during winter is he wants to get warm. So, you know, he'll probably be finding a face early in the mornings where it'll catch that first bit of sunlight uh, so he can kind of warm up and wake up and then he'll go about looking for his feed and his water or whatever else he's kind of chasing. So it's a bit seasonal what I'm looking for on the maps and stuff. Uh, but then, yeah, when I've when I've gone through that process, I'll then mark it out and I'll just go in uh, to the state forest and I'll kind of try and find sign on those areas that I thought looked promising. Uh, and then hopefully there's sign there. And I was lucky enough in the video that I put up that there was sign in that particular area. And then, you know, it could all come together for you. Yeah, it's... Uh... 
I mean, there's certainly some great places I've, you know, scouted or looked at, you know, Google Maps or whatever or had the overlays on Google Earth. And, you know, <laughs> the only thing I hate is when I'm looking at a place, I go, you know what, that looks like a good place for deer or that looks like a really good place to camp. If I can give one tip to people, don't have one. Don't set your sights on one place to camp because nah. sometimes nah. I've gone in. I go, that's a that's a nice little open area. We can get a few of the forbies in there. That looks good. And then I've got there, and it's just overgrown, thick blackberries. And you're like, oh shit, man. We left after work one night. It's like ten o'clock at night, and now we don't know where to go because <laughs> we've never been to this forest before. You know, if you've obviously gone through a forest on a regular basis, you can, you know, sometimes even then you got to be careful because people can, you know, be in your spot especially if it's before long weekends or certain times of the year where people are going to have times off and stuff like that so yeah it's uh yeah always mark out guys at least a couple of different spots maybe three to four that way if, you, if it's bad or there's someone in it or it's overgrown you can find other places to to go as well and you're not going to be left out going holy shit what do we do but mate what about um top two to three tips and tricks um for hunting on public land what i really want to concentrate as well is um a lot of people and i've done this before i spent five years trying to get a deer as I, we spoke about on the phone previously but you know and this was a lot of spooking deer a lot of just being at the wrong place at the wrong time i was either um coming back from you know spend six hours walking into an area uh, only to say, all right, I'm going to head back to the camp at one o'clock, might have lunch with the boys for a couple of hours, then go back out, uh, only to spook, <laughs> spook deer in the middle of the day. Or I've come down through a ravine, coming up the other side, and I, I hear something, I turn around, there's a deer, and it hasn't seen me, but I'm in totally the wrong position. Um, and sitting and waiting has been very popular for, for a lot of people, finding areas where the deer want to be. Um, so give us your top two to three tips and tricks. And how important is that sort of sitting and waiting? I found that's been really, really popular and really, really productive for me. I mean, I had a fellow comment on uh, the video that I put up and he, he said that you'll have 100 deer walk in on you before you'll be able to walk in on one single deer. And that really kind of resonated with me just from my personal experience. And another thing that uh, I was, <clears throat> and another thing I was taught by my uncle was that for every deer you see, there's ten that you don't. So those two things, I think, uh, are something that like every hunter should probably be aware of because I really do believe them. And um, I think for those reasons, you know, deer are such a switched-on animal, and if you're in some pretty thick terrain, making a hell of a lot of noise you're going to have to have a miracle to really get the drop on one, aren't you? So, uh, I mean, like what you touched on before, a lot of people I've found as well, and I've done this uh, I've done this too, you know, you've just done your hunt, you might have walked for however many kilometres and you just want to get back to the car so you can put your feet up and have a drink of water or something. And I've spooked deer on the way back to the car too. So one of my one of my tips would be to just hunt the whole time. It doesn't matter if you've walked over that piece of ground three hours ago, just hunt it like you haven't because the chances are that there could be a deer there uh, because it's been so long since you went over it, you know. Sitting and waiting is just such a productive way of being able to get the drop on those deer because if you're fighting the terrain you're going to be pretty much up against the wall to be able to get an opportunity where a deer is going to present a shot for you so that's really where i've just worked out my methodology of finding feeding areas through the summer months uh where they're going to be holding feed and water and those deer will kind of 
have to come into those areas uh, purely because the bush is so dry during the summer months, you know, and they've still got to eat. And it's just such a good way of being able to uh, get the drop on a deer before he has any idea you're there because you're just not going to be moving. You're not going to be making any noise. You won't be scenting up the area. Mm, um, yep. I can't even think of a, a third trick. <laughs> I was going to say, I was actually, you're right. I was actually going to say because, you know, it's funny that, you know, you, people say, oh, but, you know, you can walk around, you've got to cover ground. But then I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. But I don't know how many deer, like, I, I, I've yeah, spooked, you yeah. know, coming back to the camp, no. coming back to the car. I'm out in no. the morning, I'm walking around, and all of a sudden I look up, and in the mist, there's a deer just bloody staring at me. Or uh, yeah. one time I was in a forest and I came down through this, looked like a little bit of a dried out creek. It was only small only a couple of meters wide uh, came up the other side and i heard something and um this is where yeah, the property or not the, the sorry property the state forest used to have like a lot of brumbies in it so i'm just thinking oh not another bloody horse you know and then as it came was f- further you know closer to me i'm looking over my right shoulder and i thought holy shit that's no bloody horse you know <laughs> and then but unfortunately it came right next to me like probably about 15 meters to my right so we're both basically facing forward like as if we're both facing 12 o'clock so i'm looking to my right just staring at it and my mate was when i used to hunt occasionally with a mate and he was he was coming down through the little creek and i'm like i got my left hand there going stop 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 and then you know like trying to you know shake it so he knew something was there he must have hit a stick or something like that anyway it's looked hard left right at me at about 15 meters and all that was in all that was in um you know like in between us was this little shrub and it like was very i didn't have much sort of um, foliage on it and it was i could still remember its head its head was left right up down just like looking at me just it's like it didn't know what to think you know and then i just didn't move i just had my head stayed there i just stared at it and all of a sudden it uh it, it, it turned its head thinking and that's nothing and it started to and I would have been had half a chance because it just kept on moving forward all I had to do was wait until it got yeah. about 15-20 metres in front of me and then I could have taken the rifle but then my mate didn't see me again and then he, he, he's made more noise and then bang it's just it's just bolted and I thought oh holy crap man that would have been a deer of a bloody lifetime I mean it was just a, a, a rare moment that happens and you think it's something no it's a deer because it had a big oh, shit it had a rack on it <laughs> and I thought that ain't no bloody horse I tell you you know crazy yeah yeah i mean there's there's a a saying in the fishing community you know don't leave fish to find fish and i think you could also say that about deer if you're in an area with heaps of deer sign and you're having trouble um being able to like get the drop on a deer because of the terrain or something why walk through that country scenting it up and you know making heaps of noise why not just sit down where maybe some uh some game trails converge that's another spot that i really like or uh paid a lot of attention to when i was a bow hunter but i mean you know if they're there why go spooking them and pushing them out of the area so that's kind of why I really like the sit and wait methodology as well. But I mean, another thing that you could also do, uh, a tip that I've used uh, throughout the years, particularly when I was a bow hunter quite a bit, you know, the wind is all, always such an issue and it's such a critical thing. If you've got poor wind and it's pushing up the gully that you're trying to hunt, you may as well turn around kind of thing. So if you're hunting an area that has, um, you know, it's mostly gum or something like that, or it's 
or maybe it's mostly pine if you're in a state forest. I always like to get some really nice, fresh green shoots off whatever the, the main kind of vegetation is throughout that area that I'm hunting. And I'll just scrunch it up in my hands and bruise it and try and get uh, the oils and stuff out of it. And I'll rub it all over my hunting clothes, you know, and I'll do this for 10, 15 minutes until I stink like a pine tree or I stink like a gum tree, you know, whatever the main vegetation in the area is that I'm going to plan on hunting. And that's another advantage that you can use, you know, if if you've got swirling wind. that I know this has actually saved me before when I've had poor wind and I've had deer in pretty close. So that's that's another nice tip that I think some people might not know. What about percentage of walk and stalk? I mean, I sort of know roughly, especially if I've been to – you know, the place before I sort of know where I want to be. And sometimes I have been a bit lazy. I've got there, you know, first I've got there late in the afternoon. It's like five o'clock and my mate goes, oh, what are you, you know, I just, sometimes I've had my <laughs> work clothes on, you know, and uh, <laughs> a pair of jeans and, you know, I've got a pair of boots on or something, but it's like five o'clock. I might have, you know, half an hour sort of thing until dark, maybe 4.45. So I've just driven my car literally around the corner from where I want to be on a trail, walk down to the trail, sit there, and I've shot deer that afternoon, man, like literally 150 metres from my car. And people say, that's crazy. And I said, well, mate, I, I can't afford it. I don't have time to walk down or park where I want to park. And it just goes yeah. to show sometimes, as you said, when you got this deer, my car and I think your car wasn't too far away because we want to get maximum amount of metre there. So there's, I think there's, yeah. there's, there's just nothing wrong with that. I, I, no. I think it's extremely smart, actually, of us. But, you know, sometimes that's how hunts are going to be, depending on time of day, time of year. What, when is sundown yeah. going to be? Summer's going to be different than winter you might get you know as you know pretty much in the dead of winter you know sun's going down at sort of roughly 4 45 5 o'clock and by 20 past five it's you know, half past five it's it's pretty much pitch black so yeah what's your yeah. Per- what's your percentage of walk and stalk versus finding a spot where you want to be and getting there you know morning and night you know a couple of hours before and after you know like the morning or the night before you know sort of sun goes down yeah i mean it does come down to like how much time you've got. Uh, I've done the same thing as you. I've I've driven across the border into Victoria. I'm also licensed to hunt in state forests over there. And I remember one afternoon I was running pretty late and I think I got there about an hour before dark and I drove down to where I was planning on camping. Uh, and then within kind of 10 or 15 minutes of getting there, I was uh, hunting the river flat and I ended up shooting a really nice sand behind uh, probably about 150 metres from the car at about 15 metres in some pretty dense vegetation. Um, so, you know, but if you've got the time, I would I would definitely try and uh, kind of minimise the amount of walking and just do a lot of listening and looking. Uh, I think that is a really good way to kind of maximise your hunting. You know, if you think about it in the bush, Uh, a human is the only thing that is going to be constantly moving and making noise. You know, if if you watch a kangaroo or something in the bush, he might move, I don't know, 10 or so metres and then he'll stop and he'll kind of have a look around and he might have a pick at something and then he might go and do that again. Every other animal in the Aussie bush is going to be moving like periodically and then stopping and just sitting for however long until it gets, at, you know, fidgety again and then it'll move off again. So I think if you kind of um, 
adopt that same methodology you know you don't just walk for like a kilometer straight if you're in some really good country where you know deer are if you, maybe you walk for 50 or so meters and then you kind of sit for five minutes and have a look around and then you you go and do that again i think that's quite a good way of hunting some really dense thick vegetation yeah yeah absolutely guys gonna get another quick break and we'll be right back the new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% to the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit o usaaustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. Mate, I want to talk about morning versus afternoon. I find, you know, I've, I've never really been successful right at dawn, uh, but, you know, obviously getting into the spot where you need to be. But, you know, I found about, you know, somewhere between 8 and about 9 o'clock to seem to be the most productive. You like morning or afternoon? Ooh. Oh, I've stumped him oh, first yeah, time. Nah. <laughs> There's advantages and disadvantages to both, in my opinion. Um, so early morning, obviously, if you shoot a deer, you've got all day to, you know, get that deer in the ute and get out of the forest. Uh, if you shoot a deer in the evening, you've only got, you know, I don't know, half an hour or however long you've got, but the time is limited. Um whereas in the morning, if you're looking at hunting a feeding area or something, uh, you could potentially bump deer on your way in because they they will already be out there and they'll all, already be feeding and stuff throughout the night. Uh, vice versa, in the afternoons, you know, if if you're going to hunt a gully or something, you can get in there well before the deer are even thinking about moving and you, you'll be able to have the jump on them straight away. But if you're going to hunt a gully early in the morning, the chances are you might end up bumping animals out of there. Um, so I think... There are pluses and minuses to both kind of uh, times. Um, I prefer mornings just because if you put a deer on the ground, you don't have to rush to do anything, and I hate doing that. <laughs> I know. I've got to agree with you. Sometimes I think, and, yeah, my two bad things or my worst things, I'm always happy to shoot a deer, is uh, shooting him at the, like, 11th or 12th hour when you've got to go home. <laughs> yeah. That's number yeah. one. And yeah. number two, you're right, where it's just, like, 10 minutes before dark, you're a fair way away from the car, you put one on the ground, then it's like, ah, oh, shit, now I've got to, now I've got to, yeah, now the hard work actually begins. It's interesting, hey, when I first started hunting, I thought, you know, I, I just had that emphasis around shooting the deer because I hadn't shot one yet. But after you start shooting them, you realise that's kind of the easy part, really, because yep. it's really after the fact. I mean, I saw that big one you shot, no doubt there was a lot of work there, you probably took the head. Oh yeah, you know, whatever, yeah, whatever you want to do with the head and take it and you know mount it or whatever the case may be, and just how much work there is to actually do after the shot. And you're like, you get back to camp. Maybe if you've got a couple of mates there, the boys might help. You know, string it up, and you know, it takes like a couple of hours. Sometimes you think, oh, we'll stuff it. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna gut it. I'll leave skin on. It's it's nice and cold. You know, I'll get up while the boys are going out in the morning. I'll get up a bit later and take care of it in the morning. So it's it's really just not about the shot. Really, it's all the after work preparation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I went out to this same spot that I shot that stag on. Uh, I think it was two or three days after. 
I haven't put this video up yet, but uh, I ended up taking a really nice yearling red hind for meat, and that's kind of was my goal the whole time was to get out and get some meat, not a not a trophy. Uh, but I shot her on last light, and I mean, I didn't get home until I think two thirty in the morning that morning. So it turned out to be a very long one. I ended up getting stuck in a bloody wombat hole and had to dig my way out with a tire iron and all sorts of things were going wrong. <laughs> <laughs> mate, that always happens. There's always something that goes wrong on a trip. But, you know, that's why I hang out with get my mates to come that way, you know, grab the UHF. Hey, can anyone hear me? Bloody come and give me a hand. And that's a good thing, isn't it, too, when you, when you are going with mates sometimes as well, you know. You can get on the UHF if you've got your car closed. Boys, I've picked something up, need a hand to get on the back of the car. I mean, I've got such good friends too. They're like willing to give up their own hunts in the afternoon and say, yeah, mate, come down, give you a hand and, you know, you share the meat and, mate, there's nothing bloody better than hunting on public land, especially when, like, the deer that you shot, holy crap, just just to get such genetics on public land, you don't even think it's possible. And, you know, I was having a chat to a guy the other day and I said, well, you know, for a previous podcast that I haven't released yet on, on the rut coming up, and I was like, well, what do you do? Like, if you're on public land and you see that that deer and you might say, well, mate, in a couple of years, that's probably going to be a really good deer. What do you do? Do you pull the hammer on it there and then? Because, yeah. you, you know, you may not get the chance because someone else might shoot it a couple of weeks later. Or, yeah. you know, or, or you may never, ever see that deer again. Those deer can move. And we were just talking about the tracking of deer. And, you know, like I, I think they have done a few studies around the, around the country. But like I keep saying, I'd love to get – and they'll, they'll never release it for obvious reasons for GPS coordinates and so forth, but I'd love to get one on there and just put a GPS on it just to see how far they move in a day and, and, and do they frequent the same spots? Like, what's their movements? What do they do? Where do they like to be in the morning? Do How far do they travel from you know, where their feeding areas are? Is it a couple hundred metres? Is it 5, 10, 20, 30 kilometres they'll travel? Um, you know, and you may never see those deer again, so it's always something to think about. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. But, I mean, the the genetics in in that area are, are pretty exceptional for sure. Um, but also the deer population itself in in that area, even broadly, is just absolutely exploded. So, so I mean, you know, I'm quite fortunate uh, to have found an area that's holding such good genetics. But it just goes to show that if you do your scouting and stuff, and you have a look around. There's, there's animals of that quality out in, in quite a few state forests. So I think it really just comes down to how much work you're willing to put in to look for an animal like that. Yeah, yeah, 100%, mate. Totally agree. What about summer versus winter? Obviously, you just did this one, you know, this hunt, I guess, which is frequently, so the weather was kind of warm. Uh, you know, how do you think that changes their behaviour? Are they sort of, are they bedded up during the day compared to, say, winter, where they might be, you know, more of a chance to be out, you know, because it is a bit cooler? Um, yeah, what's your, what's your thoughts on summer versus winter hunting? Yeah, so because of my uh, because of my work, you know, up in Darwin for the majority of the year, and I can really only get home during the summertime. I've done the the majority of my hunting over summer, um, and that's why I've always looked for areas holding uh, holding green feed and water. But something I've also picked up uh, just watching deer movements is the movement of kangaroos and how they use kangaroos as satellites. A couple of times I've had kangaroos come out of a gully that these deer are moving down they might be bedding up the top or something like that and they've waited for these roos to come out and start feeding first for a few minutes before these deer venture out and i've even seen uh deer during the summer months 
uh, when it's quite hot, they'll come into these feeding areas where you've got a bit of water and they'll lay down in that in that kind of little creek system or whatever and they'll just sit there. And that's uh, a pretty good way for them to cool down, I'd imagine. But, um, you know, during the, the, the winter months, I, I'd imagine, I've, you know, like I, like I said, really haven't done a lot of hunting through the winter, but obviously the animals will want to be finding some warmth and some heat. Um, and because of that, they'll probably be moving around a bit more to uh, to kind of stay warm. Um, that's kind of really all I know about hunting in the winter. Like I haven't done a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when people are out, though, like what do you think? Like just a couple of things. I mean, we probably touched on a few of them a bit earlier as well. I mean, you know, me walking back to the car, like you, you, that's a great one, hunting right up until you finish the hunt. Maybe factor in that time uh, to get back to the car because I don't know how many times I've gone. Like I'm thinking, wouldn't they be out in the morning? Like why, that, why am I seeing them at midday during the day? That's probably the biggest thing. <laughs> for me actually has been the most sort of i guess eye-opening people say no nah, you only you only shoot them morning uh, and afternoon late afternoon i was like well no nah, i've seen them like at like lunchtime like i'm I'll probably spooked them more at lunchtime than they have in the morning or afternoon so <laughs> what do you think the top say a couple of things even that you've seen from people where like stop doing this straight away so you can become more successful i would recommend if you're in the right country uh, definitely hunting right up until you get back to your vehicle. And what I mean by that is, you know, like deer aren't dumb animals. They're not going to be standing out in the middle of an open paddock at 12 in the afternoon. But if you're hunting some pretty thick territory, then definitely hunt right up until you get back to your car because I've done it as well and I've seen plenty of people out there that do it. So that would kind of be one of my tips, you know, if you're hunting terrain where the animals will be bedding up during the day, then definitely take your time when you're moving back to your car. And I think another one would be spend the time scouting and looking for sign, uh, particularly, if, particularly if you're hunting a kind of newish area and you don't know where the deer are yet. That'll, uh, that'll really improve your odds, you know. I wouldn't just go into a state forest blind with no idea that there's animals in there. We've touched on the, the process that I use a bit, uh, a bit earlier in this podcast, but, I mean, scouting is like a really pivotal thing and i think and it's going to really help you out in the long run yeah mate absolutely what about just one item that if people could improve right now to become more successful what do you think that number one we probably might have already spoken about it but what do you think that one tip might be just to if they hopefully they implement at least one thing from this show they might have a chance of becoming more successful out in the field Ooh. Well, I always love stumping my uh, listen. Uh, sorry, my, I was going to say listeners, my uh, guests, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing to improve. Um, oh, look, I mean, I think it just comes down to an in- individual, really. You know, like except uh, where where your hunting needs improvement. Some people it might be uh, their range time. Other people it might be their ability to move as quiet as they can in the Aussie bush. And I think uh, a little trick real quick for one of those that I've seen and heard of before, some blokes like to take their boots off and they like to put a couple of layers of socks on and they'll hunt in socks. Um, I know I've seen my uncle uh, put a pair of socks over his boots before uh, and that'll quieten down your movements a fair bit too. Um, But look, as in improving overall, I really, I think, just getting out there, having a look. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, man. Totally agree. And uh, all right, finish off, man. I guess um, 
Any particular story you think to finish off? Anything you'd like to, any other stories you can tell us? I mean, obviously you did your first one about your red deer, which is fantastic. Any other quick stories that sort of stand out in your mind as a, as a great day out in the field? Yeah. My first deer, I think uh, I'll probably have this in common with a lot of other deer hunters. There's nothing like your first. Um, so this is the same spot where I shot my second ever Samba uh, when I'd got down to um, this river flat pretty late in the afternoon. Uh, on this particular hunt, I was out there with my uncle and he was uh, prospecting on the riverbank, actually. And I, uh, he, he just pointed out where to go. He said, mate, the wind's going down there, so why don't you go for a walk up here? And I thought, you know what, he's never been wrong before, so I'll give it a crack. And I uh, ended up putting in about a two-kilometre walk kind of was going through the bushes uh, as quiet as I could, just kind of hand railing this river flat, which was a pretty good feeding area. And uh, I ended up seeing this really dark shape across the other side of the river. I was kind of like, that's a really weird looking log. And then the log put its head up and it just had a bit of a look around. And at this stage, this sand behind was about 100 100 odd metres away. And I'll tell you what, mate, the buck fever or the hind fever was absolutely <laughs> insane. I had a little uh, two-and-a-half by 15-powered Leopold on my rifle with no zoom at all, and it seemed like every heartbeat the scope was moving about a foot. <laughs> um, we've all so, been there. We've all been there. Yeah. So, yeah, I got got pretty fortunate. Um, The wind swelled a bit. I ended up watching her for about five minutes before she put her head up and was scenting really hard. So I sent one in her and, uh, I mean, it was just – it was incredible. There was actually a carp feeding. Uh, I ended up kind of crawling on my guts to a log that was laying across the river there and I used the log as a rest. So I got to about 90 metres off her. And there was a carp about a metre and a half in front of this log with its back out of the water feeding. And I knew that if I spooked this fish, that hunt was well and truly over because they do make a bit of noise, the old carp. And uh, I ended up getting up, you know, to 90 metres, putting one in her, and then she dropped on the spot and I gave her five minutes and she'd kind of expired by the time I went over there. Meanwhile, my uncle's walked up the uh, river after he's heard the loud bang and he's kind of yelled at me asking what's going on. And I said, look, mate, I've just shot my first deer, handed all my <laughs> gear over to him, and I ended up floating about two kilometres down this river through a couple of uh, bends and a couple of little rapids and stuff, just hanging onto the edge of this uh this sand behind because you know like (laughs) i touched on yeah i always like to get you know the meat recovery and i think um we kind of came to the conclusion that it beats walking so i ended up floating down the river with this sand behind for about i think it was you know one and a half (laughs) two k's well did it float or had you just just just, yeah yes chuck (laughs) it in the water and off we go so uh, <laughs> he's done this a few times, my uncle in his time, and he just said, mate, as long as it's not gut shot, it'll, uh, it'll float. And I said, well, you know, like you, you haven't steered me wrong before, so it was good enough for me. It didn't take much talking. And I just pulled her into the water and off I went. <laughs> oh, 
mate, never had someone float down a you know a river or a stream before to <laughs> with their deer well, to uh, recover most of the meat. It's bloody awesome. Yeah, I'm spewing. I wasn't making videos back then because it would have been such good footage, eh? <laughs> oh, mate, imagine that with GoPro just on your head. Like, you know, technology's yeah. come a long way probably since then. You, you know, chuck it on your head, floating down with a, a sand behind down the river to recover the meat. I reckon that'd be a winner. <laughs> oh, it would have been one hell of a sight, yeah. <laughs> oh, crap. Again, mate, to finish off, just again, tell them the YouTube channel where they where can they go check out your video and just give, give it a plug before you finish off. Yeah, so just Adventure Bound. Um, chuck it in the search bar. If you're having trouble finding it, uh, maybe type in Darwin or something like that and it might pop up. But, uh, yeah, really appreciate you watching the video, particularly the stag video. If you're an avid deer hunter, you'll probably enjoy some uh, some of that. So, yeah, all the best. And you said there was another one coming up, another video soon of some more hunting, you said? Yeah, yep. So that uh, nice uh, yearling hind I shot, I'll be editing that pretty soon and whacking that up too. So there's something to look forward to. Yeah, any Instagram or anything like that or specific VentureBound Facebook pages or anything? No? No, not yet. Not yet. Oh, there cool. might be one in the works. <laughs> All right, great podcast, Ben. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for accepting my offer. I just saw the video and I thought, you know, I, people love getting out of the state forest. A lot of people that listen to this show, they love getting out there. This is often sometimes people in New South Wales or Victoria or other states around Australia where you can hunt on public land. This is sometimes all they have and, and they're trying to become more successful. And, uh, you know, sometimes it can be extremely easy to, to hunt state forest. And as you know, sometimes it can be extremely hard to get, you know, your first deer or your first animal. And, uh, you know, it's very rewarding. So thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Go and check out his video, guys. It's excellent. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. No worries, mate. Really appreciate the opportunity and all the best. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.